0: Welcome to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. So, Paul, do you think I'm sexy? No. Would it be sexy if I were holding a glass of Pinot Noir?
1: The wine would be sexy. You would not be sexy. Uh, you, well, yeah. I'd still be me. You'd still be you.
0: <laughs> yes, oh well. Uh, the, the, <laughs> the things I have to live with. Where are you going with it? Well, well today we're, we're going to talk about Pinot Noir, which I think is possibly the world's sexiest wine. <laughs> and also, today we have some uh, Pinot Noir-inspired history from our Wayback Machine. Listeners ask about those big, wide Pinot Noir glasses yep. and whether a wine's vintage really matters much. And our horrible wine writing is rich in minerally tannins. Plus, as usual, we'll be making fun of wine snobs, including people who write minerally tannins. <laughs> And yes, ladies and gentlemen, we are still on Capital Public Radio's podcast lineup. Um, we are also on Napa Broadcasting. The network comes out of Napa Valley College. Yes, an institution of higher learning. You would think they would know better. And a reminder also to look for us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at uh, Rick and Paul Wayne. Uh, <laughs> and you can go there and ask us a question anytime, by the way. All right. So uh, if we're going to talk about Pinot Noir, we have to bring up the movie Sideways. Uh, it, yes. really, it really did help its popularity. Uh, and that makes some sense. You know, people... The truth of it is, in the wine world and everything, but wine in particular, people are always looking for some bit of advice in any way, and Miles did make it
1: sound great. Well, in fact, people in many cases in the wine world are looking for permission, and Miles certainly gave everybody permission to try Pinot Noir, and it's delicious wine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and But there's another reason. And let's face it. We're sheep. <laughs> we, <laughs> see,
0: we see something on the screen, and we just do it. Speak for yourself. Okay. <laughs> bah. All right.
1: Um, But, uh, you know, there's more to it, Paul. Well, um, you know, we're not going to say what we're going to say because we still don't have any lawyers. But Merlot is still way more popular than Pinot Noir in this country. Yeah, by a lot. By yeah, a lot. Yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, the top, top grapes in America are Chardonnay, Cabernet, and Pinot Noir by a long shot. And, and I'm sorry, Cabernet, Amoray. Chardonnay, and Merlot. Yeah. And Pinot Noir follows along some way behind those.
0: Yeah, and for not so long ago, Merlot is the most widely planted grape in the world. Um, yep. And uh, it's yep. it's still very very close. Yep. Um, so yeah, uh, the the Merlot thing was they needed a joke. Really. They
1: needed a joke, and it was a good one. But Merlot still makes really good wine. But yep. we're not here to talk about Merlot. Rick. We are here to
0: talk about our our old friend,
1: our new friend. Uh, uh, Actually, Pinot. our old friend. Well, Pinot Noir is is sort of old, Paul. Pretty uh, old. Yeah. You know, Older than you, older than the hills. It's older than you, (laughs) not just older than me. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, In fact, one of the world's oldest, right? Yeah, that's the theory. In fact, nobody's quite sure exactly how old it is, but certainly 1,500, maybe many more hundred years older than that.
0: Which um, is an interesting thing, you know. I mean, you think about like what we know about Cabernet. We sort of think of it as about three hundred years old. You know, yeah. grapes tend to mutate. They tend to blend themselves together, um, and
1: or or get well. One together. A, a, a man grape when they when it really loves a woman grape. Sometimes they make Paul, we're not grape. that kind of show. <laughs> sexy or not,
0: and as I say, I think really do think of it is um, as one of the sexiest wines, and it's it's for it's. You know, it's got this silky texture. It's got this perfume to it. Yep. Um, it's it's kind of a earthy and suggestive wine. It's hard. kind of like
1: you, Rick. Earthy and suggestive. I am very suggestive. You Only are. In suggestive. Manner though, of course. <laughs> I walk. I, well, I must say, I, in I aromatics, walked, I walk down the street and people slap me. In aromatics, I mean, you're pretty earthy. <laughs> well, there's that too. I should I should bathe more. <laughs> you should bathe more. <laughs> right. Yeah.
0: All right. And, you know, one of the things that I think about it, and, and there there will be people who will seriously disagree with me, but I think it's a really good starter red for people who are trying to get to know red wine. I well, think Well, because generally
1: Pinot Noir doesn't have the intense tannins that you get out of some of the, the more tannic red wines, right. like uh, Zinfandel, like Cabernet, like even Merlot has more tannin than Pinot Noir. So Pinot Noir is... Softer in texture than most of the red wines, and that's one of the reasons it's delicious.
0: You know, it also has, um, of you know, a, I mean, all wines, depending on who you talk to, would have their own complete and distinct profile. A lot of that's you know, they all blend together, but I think Pinot, Pinot Noir really has its own uniqueness. It, it it seems to be one of the more recognizable reds on its own. You can kind of, my wife does not like Pinot, um, which, uh-huh. you know, um. Uh, an otherwise really good palate she's allowed not to Um, but she you know it is like it is so easy for her to pick out Uh you know and I I think Pinot is there's something about it well when I'm
1: teaching it in the classes first thing I'm saying is Usually the color is a little lighter. Right. Do not be misled because people often think that lighter color means lighter bodied or lighter lighter flavors. That's not true. It's just a lighter color. Right. Uh, but then uh, it has that wonderful velvety texture, that really rich texture on the mouth. And it's not just Pinot Noir. Pinot Gris, Pinot Blanc, all of the Pinot grapes have that same texture. And it clearly all... comes from the same grape. And one of the things that uh, about...
0: That is that this grape itself, it mutates like nutso. It's a yes. nutso mutator. Yeah,
1: it, it it is not very stable. They've said that about you, Paul. They've said <laughs> 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 I was just gonna say that about you, Rick. Right.
0: <laughs> so maybe the podcast isn't very stable. there you go yeah although yeah. people are now in, in living a terror that we're going to mutate into more podcasts
1: um, well, you know, well, or yeah a different kind of podcast right
0: so all of, but all of those Pinot grapes where you in the first part of the word I mean they're really most of them are colored though Meunier I'm not sure if that's a color
1: yeah I think yeah.
0: it's it's. Uh, but you know Pinot Gris means gray Pinot Blanc obviously it's white right Noir black so yep. a dark grape yeah um, and uh, they are all the same DNA profile, though, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So
1: they're they're very similar, and and all of them have that sort of richness in the mouth that um, uh, I think is a great sort of color or cue that you're gonna you're gonna be drinking a Pinot grape right now. Yeah.
0: And I think uh, to my point about it being a sexy grape, it's also one of the parents of Chardonnay. Well, there you go. Yeah, it, it, was, it gets around, apparently. It was. The other, by the way, um, it's a grape that's uh, you're not going to probably won't know called Gouet Blanc. That's what the French call it. The uh, the Croatian. It's Croatian, which, yes. which many grapes are actually because Croatia was a a, a cradle of grape ness. <laughs> cradle of wine. <laughs> uh, Start. It's Stajerska Belina. No, you're not even. Come on now. Stajerska belina Stajerska yeah, yeah. Be- I go with
1: Gouet Blanc.
0: I, yeah. It's, um, it's, it's in that ballpark. Yeah, Gouet Blanc. Okay. Uh, um, and uh, by the way, it's not on the quiz. we're not You won't have to know these things. Whew. I was worried because um, I didn't know how to spell gooey. Um, it's, yes, it isn't what you'd think. Um, <laughs> and, although Gouet Blanc sounds like a snail. <laughs> Gouet Blanc? Yeah, so maybe the sh- <clears throat> Chardon- there was some snails. on the- No, I'm not going there. and But, you know, there is a thing where there are Pinot Noir and Chardonnay do like the same climate.
1: Yes, yes. Yeah, well, all the Pinot grapes like a cooler climate. So that's why that's why they all grow in Champagne. It's why they grow in Burgundy. Uh, those are cold places to grow grapes. In fact, a, there's a lot of Pinot Noir in Germany. Yeah, yeah. Um,
0: it's also one of the reasons why it's called the heartbreak grape uh, mo- among some winemakers. And you know it, that they like that cool climate because they're thinner. Their skins are thinner. Uh huh. They're, uh-huh. they're sort of delicate. They need just the right level of coolness, but they still need some sun to get ripe. And yeah. so. Um, there's just a lot of things that can go wrong in growing pinot noir. Yep, um, and yep. Uh, and you know it. it one of the things that we've seen happening since Sideways, by the way, is that there's lots and lots of Pinot being grown all over the place and sometimes not necessarily in the right place.
1: No, but it's it, the other reason that's a heartbreak grape is that it, it it's never a big producer. I mean, right. You can get a lot of Chardonnay or Cabernet off of a vineyard. It's hard to get that kind of production off of Pinot Noir. So you really need to focus on quality. You can't just get big volumes. Right. And the other is, um, as we
0: were saying earlier, it sleeps around. Sleep around. Yeah, it's just you know, don't yeah. get no relationship with Pinot Noir. I'm just saying, <laughs> go go for go for something stable. Uh, yeah, um, it is, and you know, it's everywhere now. I mean, and, and do, doing well in many places. I mean, we we've talked yes. about Oregon and New Zealand and certainly all of California, South yeah. Africa, Chile, places
1: you know with lots of coastline. Yeah, Bulgaria, uh, yeah. Germany. Yeah, they, they all make. And Pinot Noir. And yes. some of it's really very good. But its original home, for for, or at least
0: what we consider its ancestral home after the various other places like Croatia, um, is the the lovely region of Burgundy, Burgundy. In, in France. Um, yep. And, you know, what I like about—this is very French. And we were talking about that just before we went on the air, which is that um, I like that that in France you can't actually put Pinot Noir on the label. On a Burgundy. On a Burgundy, yes. Well,
1: because people in France know that if it's Burgundy and it's red— it's Pinot Noir. Because that's the only red grape. It's well, the that's only...
0: not, there is one other section, but nonetheless, but yes. But
1: it has to be called a different name.
0: It yes. can't be called Burgundy. It can't be called Burgundy. If it's, it's called
1: true. Burgundy and it's red, it's Pinot Noir.
0: Well, and until only recently, uh, if you were a French producer of Burgundy, Pinot Noir, you couldn't sell it in the United States and put Pinot Noir on the label. Right. Now they're allowed to. Right. Um, and so – and it's one thing to say well yeah we know it's in here this is always a difficulty in some ways for uh, americans with european uh, wine because often the wines are the trademark is their region so not so much the the grape right and um, americans we don't know. i just think that they're the, it's that way because they're french and they just want, to... as Steve Martin said, they have a different word for everything. I know. I know, and frankly, I think Pinot Noir could mean cheese, but I'm not sure. <laughs> right. And actually, the other thing, and this this time of year is the perfect time to bring this
1: up, which is it's a great wine with so many different kinds of foods. Yep, yep, yep. It uh, yep from turkey to to roast chicken to beef Bourguignon, which is which would be with beef and Burgundy, Burgundy red wine right. sauce. Yep. Yeah. All of that is uh, is good with Pinot Noir. Salmon. It's salmon's one of the all time great
0: pairings. Yep. You know, as yep. somebody has gone through some of those tests. You know, one of the things you have to do with a lot
1: of those dumb Rick, wine tests. Right. This is not a place for you to talk about your psychological testing. Yes.
0: Um, and I got I got all those colors wrong and <laughs> shapes. No. You know, one of the things you often have to do with is suggest a wine pairing. And if you ever think your wine, if you're taking a test, it might be somewhere in the ballpark of Pinot Noir. Just pair it with salmon. <laughs> They're gonna think you know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Well, all right. Well, nobody yeah. really thinks we know what we're talking about, no, for, with good
1: reason. And yet they ask us questions. And yet Paul. we are unstable. Yes, we are. We are unstable. And and at least one of us thinks he's sexy. Yes. Yeah. Well. well okay. One of us knows he's sexy. If he's
0: holding <laughs> pinot noir, only I just hold a glass right in front of me, and I say, "Look, look! Here's a glass of pinot noir. Don't you love me?" <laughs> all right. Uh, well. <clears throat> uh, since nobody does uh we'll, nobody does. we'll try to make some friends by answering a few questions And by the way if you'd like to ask us a question The places are rickandpaulwine.com Our website Or uh, on social and Facebook, Instagram and Twitter Rick and Paul Wine And of course don't forget look for us on iTunes Just in general because uh, And review us or like us Or well, however it works for you Yeah, well, Yeah
1: I say make things up that sound good Yes. Um, um, I say you should call this podcast sexy. Well, and when you when they ask you for a comment, just put a little glass of red wine at the bottom. There you go. There, there you go. go. A little Perfect. a little red wine emoji. Yeah. All right. So this first question
0: comes from Alberto in San Jose. And he asked about those big, wide Pinot Noir glasses.
1: Are they worth it?
0: Do they really make a difference?
1: Can I use them for other wines? So, yes, you can use them for other wines. And no, they're not worth it if they're expensive, they're not worth it because red wine, good wine tastes good in really any number of different kinds of glasses. And most people, you know, Jancis Robinson, the master wine, just came out with our own line of wine glasses. It's one size. It's one shape for everything. Every wine competition we ever judge uses one glass for all the wines. So is it worth it? For me, no, it's not worth it to spend the money. And the other thing is, those wine, those glasses are actually not very convenient. They are not convenient. They're they won't fit in a dishwasher. You got to wash them by hand, and they're really big. So you pour somebody a normal four ounce pour, and it looks like you've got a tiny little dribble in their glass. So then you pour half a bottle in there, and just eh, just go with a normal wine glass. You know, I, when I saw this question, I went <clears throat> went sort
0: of and looked up some of the. I mean, there's all kinds of studies on uh, on. Uh, the size of the glass and, and sorts of things and yes. and and um, we absolutely stipulate that the glass can affect the taste a little or the smell something like that depending on how yeah. big the glass is and how the opening is and all sorts yeah. of stuff um, and one of the things that um, that was pretty uniform was that those big wide pinot glasses tend to have a slightly more intense smell which then means that some of the kind flavors kind of like Rick yes that's why I always walk around in a big inside a big glass. Um, <laughs> But it doesn't necessarily make the wine taste better. Right. You might smell it more, which means you'll, you'll get the flavors a bit more. You know, I do this a lot. You've heard me say this before. I do this a lot because I'm, I'm an idiot. And um, I do have those glasses. <laughs> and, you know, a lot of times when I, when I take out a Pinot that I like, I'll pour it into one of those. And I'll pour it in a big Bordeaux glass. And I'll pour it glasses in a thinner
1: glass. and a normal glass.
0: And my wife is, like, rolling her eyes.
1: And can yeah. we just have dinner? Well, and, what your wife is thinking is you've already poured half of the bottle into your three glasses. When does she? Of course, it's well, Pinot Noir, so uh, she doesn't get any oh, anyway, does she?
0: Paul my friend, you've, you've discovered my little scheme. Ah, I, I get see. half the wine right there. <laughs> That's right. Um, and and there, I'll tell you, there always is a difference. But, you know, my favorite always tends to be just the sort of my uni- the, the universal red the glass. The old normal red glass. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. So anyway. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, if somebody gives them to you, they're fine. They're fun. But, they're fun. Yeah. And, and mostly they're fun. Yeah. And for other glass, for other reds, you know, for big reds, I would say don't use them. I, you know like big giant cabs you know that's you you you're going to stick your nose in and
1: get a lot of and you might get it might actually change yeah, it a little bit I I don't worry about it yeah. you know but the only other thing you can do with them is very tiny little goldfish ooh Well, if you put the goldfish in with the Pinot Noir, you get a little tiny drunk goldfish. (laughs)
0: Yeah, It's kind of good. All right. Our next one is from Katie from Fresno, and she has a Pinot-related question. Okay. She says, is there a difference between Pinot Grigio and Pinot
1: Gris besides the Italian versus French language thing? Yes, there is. Sort of. Sort of. Because traditionally, Pinot Gris has been made primarily in France in Alsace. Uh, up on the Rhine River on the, in the northeast part of France, and it is generally made bone dry and maybe even a little austere, but really intense, delicious wine. It tends to have a, a real richness to it. Uh, whereas Pinot Grigio in the Italian version tends to be from northeastern Italy, the Veneto, that sort of thing, and it which is a is colder part of, of Italy. Of Italy, but it's still warmer than Alsace. Yes. Uh, and so, in general, the wines are a little lighter and a little more fruit focused. Um, and so, some people use one as an indication of style. Some people, I guess most of Oregon calls theirs, you know, gris, because yeah. they think they're doing the French th- style, yeah. whatever that means. Um, they, w- they would argue, uh, they would be arguing leanness but rich fruit. Right. Yep. Yeah. Um, so, slight differences, but not so much that I'd lose sleep over it.
0: Yeah, and and it, it's going to really depend on the winery. It's like with Sauvignon Blanc, where some people call it Fumé Blanc, but there's no legal definition. It right. doesn't mean anything on yeah. the style. It used and, to be yeah.
1: that Fumé Blanc was oak-aged and Sauvignon Blanc was not, but that's no, you yeah. can't necessarily draw that conclusion either. So, right. so it, Like it, so many things yeah. in wine, there's more than one way to name the same darn wine, and once you do, you still got to open up the bottle and taste it to find out whether you like it. Yeah.
0: But uh, the one thing that you might note, though, is if if the Pinot Grigio is from Italy and the Pinot Gris is from France, there will be a bit of a stylistic difference. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. But from from all the California Americans, Alsace
1: is one of the few places in France where they would put the varietal on yes. the label yes. because yes. they make a bunch of different white wines there, all yes. of them delicious. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, so sort of
0: that's a that's why it's a good question actually. All right. Well, it's a good question because there's no answer. Yes. Well, yeah. She has a a reason to ask the question, but but, uh, I thought we answered it well, which is that um,
1: the difference is complicated.
0: (laughs) Look, as is so much with wine.
1: Okay. I think our work here is done. Yes.
0: So, Katie, who is one of our – actually, one of our Fresno Enclave is probably going to stop listening to us. I'm sorry. sorry. All right. Well, that is it for questions now before more people stop listening to us. But here's one of our faves. Some really horrible wine writing coming up. (laughs) Oh yeah! I don't know why that music makes me happy because what's coming is always (laughs) always dreadful, depressing. Okay,
1: I think I usually go first, right, right? You do. So I've got one here it says with its flavors of sour cherry, mushroom and sliced bitter orange. I love that it had to be sliced by yeah, the way. Yeah, because you know a bitter orange that isn't sliced uh, it tastes so different. A completely different kind of story yeah. there. This has a flavor profile of a white wine. It is bright and floral with brisk, iron-rich mineral tannins.
0: All right, before we get to your favorite description there, I got to go backwards. Uh I don't know where sour cherry and mushroom uh, give you the
1: flavor profile of a white wine. Well, uh, but this is a wine expert, so, so clearly this person knows more than us. Yes. And, and, and <laughs> the slice. And I love herb. the fact that they are brisk, iron-rich mineral tannins. Brisk tannins. When have you ever had a brisk tannin? Maybe they should just serve this wine a little warmer, and it wouldn't be so brisk. Well,
0: and tannins are a feeling, (laughs) and and what this guy's talking about really is the flavor. So I'm not sure how you get a mineral tannin. Plus, iron is its own mineral. Why can't it just be iron?
1: It's iron-rich mineral. Iron-rich tannins. So I don't tannins. Tannins come, of course, from from uh, vegetable matter, which often is the skins, right? And this is a white wine, and so but these are mineral. It is a red wine, but it is mineral tannins. So these tannins taste like rocks. Somehow, I don't think I I gave it ninety-two points. But from this description, I would run away from this wine. Well, this is often the case.
0: Um, So mine is uh, this is somebody who's trying to pass his som test. This description, (laughs) (laughs) Pinot Grigio from Pinot Grigio grapes. Really, because. It's like it could come from something else. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, this is someone who's getting paid by the word. Uh,
0: no, this is someone who really thinks that he's, he or she is being, uh, he's being you know, that, that test taker, that, you know, look at me.
1: Pinot Grigio from Pinot Grigio grapes.
0: Fermented as a white wine. <laughs> All right. Okay. Um, it has an intense straw yellow color. Yeah. Its aroma is intense, full and fruity, uh, and, then we are, and with excellent persistence. Okay. Which, excellent persistence. It's like, it's long finish is what you mean. Yeah. That's its aroma, so it's a long aroma. Um, Its taste is dry, velvety, and particularly well orchestrated for its full body. Well orchestrated. Does that mean they use a lot of oboe? I think this is Brass. Oh, okay. I think, they, I think they're think going big on brass. Um, <laughs> and To be paired with—so this is a long way—to be paired with fish soups, char-grilled seafood, not either charred or grilled, which is really the same thing, and various dishes
1: based on field mushrooms and porcini mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so dishes based on field mushrooms as opposed to, what, mushrooms— <laughs> Commercially grown, grown. Mushroom. yeah. I guess. Um, I st- I'm still trying to wrap my minds around to be fair with fish soups, which can be anything from oh, yeah, cream based to tomato based, right?
0: Yeah, uh, well, and then the wine is wonderful with squid ink, lasagna pasta, and crayfish. So, lasagna pasta is these wide ribbons, it's like the ribbons that go into lasagna, but right? They can be cut wide, they can be cut thin, they could be as thin as, as fettuccine, so really could just be any pasta, right? There you go, yeah, so yeah. Squid ink with a uh, crayfish sauce—that's
1: a very common uh, pairing. I would the first one I would think of. Well, I I just think you should try it with a variety of fish soups, yeah, from tomato to cream-based, yes. and it goes with all of them because fish and soup—that says it all right there. As long as it's oh, don't get me as long as it's it made from Pinot Grigio yes, grapes because. and fermented as a white wine. Right. You know,
0: I think this is uh, time for us to uh, leave these bad <laughs> questions, and, and and since we're talking about a grape that uh, is from not. Uh, no, no good transition here that makes sense with that description. So let's just uh, let's get a little bit of history. Okay, we're going to history. See, those guys—they're so good. Yeah, they're so good, and 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 they were—they were out there. Wait, their heads were shaking at this idiot uh, waiting for
1: 40 minutes to come well, in from the green well room. not only
0: that but just they, we we're, they were really put off by
1: those wine descriptions but you know the, the thing I always wonder is do they know how to play anything else oh yeah
0: they, uh, they they're actually a jazz uh, ah, team on okay. the side yeah. Okay. Yeah. okay Devin they're gonna they're gonna be doing devin's show right after <laughs> us yeah. all right uh, uh, so Paul. Ah, where's your wayback machine taking
1: us? Well, if we're going to talk about Burgundy and all the rest, one of the things that I think is fun is the history of how after the Roman Empire fell, the only people who could read and write in all of Europe were monks. And they ended up controlling huge amounts of the winemaking, particularly in Burgundy. And monks keep meticulous records. They don't have anything else to do. What else, right? So they sit around and they keep track of everything, and they follow directions. I mean, monks are big on playing by the rules. So, in fact, they were using these Roman uh, books on how to grow grapes and make wine. So every single wine in Burgundy was made by these monks following a really exact procedure. And it is these monks who gave us the idea that each little parcel of land tastes a little different. These are fundamentally Cistercian monks, if I have that right, in Burgundy. and they
0: were, But they were also experimenting with what went where. And so that's, that's one of the things that – because what else are they going to do, right? So each little, <laughs> each little strain of Pinot Noir and, you know, and so they, they were also really good at figuring out where, where
1: grapes should grow. Yeah, but given the fact that they always use the same – the same winemaking system, right? that allowed them to To do that. And of course, here's the problem, is that today people still talk as if everybody makes wine the same way, and that's why you can tell one wine from another just based on where it comes from. And you can't do that because everybody, every winemaker has a different system to making the wine, and wines taste really different these days. That's true. Uh, on the other hand, let's hear it for the monks. Let's hear it for the monks because uh, they they actually did a lot of
0: uh, a lot a lot of good work there, in, in, especially in France uh, they, well, in, in making wine. In, in making wine, in, they in, were
1: in, and and some and, of them still have names on bottles. Yeah, 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 yeah. All like, right, like Dom Perignon. a monk. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, we, we'll, we'll tell
0: his story as we get to the— uh, To the bubbly bay? To the bubbly, the bubbly, towards the, towards bubbly the end thing. of the year. Good. You'll, you'll okay. hear about good old Dom. So what do you have? You, you probably well, have something else. On my way back, sure. Machine goes back to 1395. Um, and, and, okay. and as you know, I love the way uh, all of the leaders back then had uh, all the weird names. There wasn't just Philip. It was Philip the Bold. Well, yes, it was Philip And the Philip Bold. the Bold tried to exile Gamay, which is the other red grape that grows in Burgundy. Now, mostly Only in, Beaujolais. Beaujolais. Only then, in Beaujolais. but But back in 1395, it was all over the place. Right. And he tried to uh, get it out of the heart of Burgundy. Uh, and he uh, he called it a very bad and disloyal plant. Yes. He said it tasted bitter and ruined the Pinot Noir. Oh, he hated it. Oh, he did. Yeah. Yes. And he said, you know, this was like in
1: in the middle of the fall. He said, by the following Easter, all gone. He said, "Begone, ye vile game."." Yeah, and, and I, I believe those were his exact w- words.
0: I think I think that's what he said. Uh, <laughs> yes, and he um, and he, and he spit. <laughs> <laughs> so, what I like about Bold Phil was in a battle of sorts with his nephew uh, Charles the Mad. Charles the Mad was the king of France, and basically comes up on all the lists of, like worst kings ever. Absolutely, this was a guy who thought he was made of glass. Absolutely, yeah. yes, yeah.
1: and not one of those big pinot noir glasses. No, no, he was a much <laughs> much more fragile glass. He would hide in closets. Yes, um, yep.
0: but and so Bold Phil wanted to have the best pinot, right? Best wine, and thought right. that would be to do it. And, and, um, yeah. But the farmers liked the gamay because it grew, it was hardy, and it grew well. And pinot right. was finicky, so and they got more higher yields. He knows
1: that heartache grape that's hard to do, but it makes great wine. Yeah. Gamay is an easy grape to grow and it produces a lot so farmers don't want to mess with that Pinot Noir grape and basically they
0: they had one sort of slightly larger concern which was like not starving and so yes yes, so they basically ignored it. that's a big thing yeah Uh, Yeah. in
1: the middle ages that was a really big thing not starving
0: and um, uh, his uh, uh, Philip's grandson uh, this is Philip the Good yeah also tried to ban it didn't 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 hold Uh, so that you know it, it didn't it didn't go too well uh I... Well,
1: in fact, it did get banned from Burgundy, except for Southern Burgundy where they grow it in Beaujolais, and everybody's happy. Mm-hmm. The Beaujolais have their wine. The Côte de Nuit and the Côte de Bonne have, have their wine, and everybody's happy. Yep.
0: Uh, can, I, can I just say one more thing about the names? Of course. So there was—in there was in between the, those two, the Phillips, there was John the Fearless. Yes, uh-huh. Um, and then there was also Charles the Bold. So yes. they used Boldquist. And then— um, after Charles, uh it was Mary.
1: Mary the uh, she married the Habsburg Archduke Maximilian and, But and she Harry, just, she didn't have she a nickname. Was just Mary the Mary. I see. Well, my favorite was Charlemagne's father who was uh Pepin the Short. I, that could have been me. It could have been you. I think I would could be have Rick been you. Th- I would be Rick the Adorable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's what it would have been. Uh, okay. Well,
0: if you think we're adorable, we're going to answer a few more questions. Uh, And don't forget, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Rick and Paul Wine, that's the place. All right. This is from uh, Megan in Chicago. Okay. And she says, how much difference does the vintage make? Is there a price point
1: where it starts to matter more? Um, It used to matter a lot more than it does today. Yeah, winemaking nowadays can wine handle stuff. and grape growing. Yeah. Now, having said that, for example, I know that in 2017, there was a terrible, terrible frost in Bordeaux, and some chateaus didn't even make wine in 2017. So you can have disasters like that, and, you know, we've been reading in the news about some of the big forest fires mm-hmm. that have affected some of the grapes in California. But in general, across the world vintage variations, which used to be, let's say, night and day, people would say, oh, buy this vintage and don't touch that vintage. These days, by the time the wine is commercially released, it's probably pretty good. And I think the vintage variations are really more in the range of the 10 to 15 percent. Rather than the fifty to one hundred percent that it was two generations ago, a generation ago, yeah, and it's n- it doesn't really matter when you get more expensive.
0: Yeah, and and it, it is in fact when we get more expensive, um, especially especially in places like California. I was gonna say it's it is more a little bit in places where the weather is more extreme, which can be northern the northern parts of Europe, um, but uh, in California, vintage matters very very little, and the higher up on the price range. The less it matters because there's so much attention going to so many things, right? Um, but, but but California, if it's not disasters like uh, something like of uh, fires, yeah, you know, our the vintage difference, It's really pretty darn consistent, yeah, and it's pretty really about consistent. volume maybe more than anything. But right, that's about it. Yep, yeah, yeah.
1: yep. So Megan, relax. Don't worry quite so much about the vintage. Just buy the good stuff. Yep.
0: And uh, however, however, as the as your wine gets older, then there, there's a change, and that's another subject for another day. Okay. Uh, and this one's from Brian Infuls, and he says, "I heard a lot about Burgundy and some pretty ancient vineyards, and it makes me wonder: Do soils wear out? Do they
1: lose all their nutrients and magic?" Well, um, Brian, this is one of the one of the big concepts behind the whole By the idea. Way,
0: Paul, I just need to say, I know some podcasters that
1: wear out. Um, you're no, thinking no. of people who've lost their magic? Yes.
0: <laughs> nobody, <laughs> in partic- no,
1: nobody in this studio. Anybody in particular you want to talk <laughs> no, about? No, I'm just
0: saying it could happen.
1: Okay. <laughs> I'm just Just wondering. throwing it back out there. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the whole concept behind sustainable farming, which is that you're not taking out more of the soil than the nutrients you're putting back in. And a vineyard that's in balance— Frankly, some of those vineyards in Burgundy have been making wine for 1,500 years, and they still make pretty great wine. So as long as you keep things in balance, I don't think it's too much of an issue. Um, it's not quite like carrots where apparently if you grow carrot, a lot of carrots uh, after a year or two, the soil is pretty depleted and you need to give it time to recover. Not the same case in, in Yeah, the in carrot wine really starts to get affected. So well, the vintage in, wouldn't matter in that case. Well, but in that case, but you, you have the perfect pairing with the carrot cake.
0: Yes. Yes. Yes, you would. All right.
1: <laughs> uh, I, what was it about the pod? I, I, what, I got uh, no What age to go does podcast that. <laughs> end
0: that lose to magic? Well, I think we've lost enough magic for one show. So <laughs> that is it for another round of Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Our producer is the uh, lovely and charming, charming Devin Cortan. Thank you, Devin. Our associate producer is Jeremy Marin. Thanks to Capital Public Radio for the studio use and for including us on their podcast podcast lineup. And don't forget, ask us a question, rickandpaulwine.com or Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, Rick and Paul Wine if you learned anything today, we hope it's that Pinot Noir can make anyone sexy. No. No, that's not it, Rick. What? What if you drink a lot? Then you think anyone is sexy. No. Okay, how about this? We like Pinot Noir. I'll go for that. Alrighty. right. I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. And remember, the best wines you drink are with friends. Or with us. Especially with us.